Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church Podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. And uh, today I'm going to conclude our series, When You Pray. I've enjoyed teaching on the Lord's Prayer. I hope that the Lord just spoke some things to you through this series and just really allowed you to reset some things in your life. And, and, uh, and so today we're going to finish this prayer and uh, we're going to talk about establishing his authority. And so Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through, 3, uh, 9 through 13 says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Amen. We must live in forgiveness. And he says, and let us not, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. You know, anytime that you, the reason that God put this in this prayer, again, we know uh, history wise that the rabbis would write these little prayers and they would give them to their followers. And as they would follow them, it was a prayer that they could pray. It was, and this, this, the Lord's prayer is not just to recite it, but it's, it's a blueprint, if you will. And these last four weeks, we've really just tried to tackle this blueprint of prayer through the Lord's prayer. And he gives us a blueprint that we can, we can pray throughout the day and just take, for example, number one is just praying the, the names of God. You just take the names of God and you pray the names of God every single day of your life. And so that's part of our Father in heaven, you pray his name. So we, we talked about those things, but I, I really felt like as, as you look at the end of this prayer, this prayer is no longer just, it's not about uh, worshiping God, it's not about our debts and our issues and, and, our, and our blessing. This next part is about advancement. He says that, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, people that are, people that are um, uh, safe don't have to pray this last part because the evil one's not after you. You're not doing anything to, to, for him to get upset about, if you will. You know, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Whenever you go to move into the place that God has for your life and you start to take risk and you start stepping up and you start to go through those great and effective doors in your life, then there's going to be adversaries at those doors. And the adversaries are not people. Now, the enemy uses people. Hello. And uh, he does use people. But I want you to understand, we don't wrestle against people. People's not our problem. The enemy that influences people is our problem. And so Paul, what he's communicating here is in 1 Corinthians, Paul's demonstrating this statement that he, he views opposition to the gospel as part of the evidence that it's being effective. Hear when I say that. That if you want to know if your life is effective, then you have to look at how well are you being challenged. If you're not being challenged, you're, not, you're going with the flow, not against the flow. How many know it's easier to get in an inner tube and go down the river? 
But if you get out of that inner tube and you try to walk up the river, what happens? That current is stronger. It takes a little bit longer. There's a resistance there. There's an opposition there. Listen, in other words, if you're going to pray this prayer, you better be willing to work in this place called spiritual warfare. Because you can sit in your lazy boy tube all day and just go with the flow of culture, or you can go and you can begin to pray in a way that goes against the things of the enemy. And Paul says the evidence of adversity is that the gospel works. Paul, man, his gospel, man, the gospel of Jesus went throughout all of Asia Minor. Three quarters of the Bible you read was written by the apostle Paul. It wasn't because he was just chilling. He didn't sit on his, in, his, in his house and just, I don't even know if he had a house. Praise the Lord. If he sat in his tent, he was a tent maker. So he sat in his tent and he wrote the Bible. No, he wrote the thing in jail. Why did he write it in jail? Is because he was going against the grain of culture. He was going and preaching the gospel. And anytime you advance the kingdom of God, it's going to come with some level of adversity. So think it not strange, if you will. It's not a coincidence when adversity happens in your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in, in secret will reward you openly. This fight is not an exterior fight. This fight is an internal, eternal fight. And he says, go into your room and shut the door, and when you pray, here's what's going to happen. Here's what what I want you to understand. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Not if you pray, it's when you pray, because prayer is the most essential part of who you are as a Christ follower. Prayer is the key, the communication factor between you and God. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why pray this part of the prayer? It's because there is something and someone in direct opposition to the will of God for your life. There's a something and there's a someone. That something is temptation. And I'm going to reveal some things to you about temptation because the original place of temptation is not on the exterior. He says this, he says, deliver us from this temptation and the evil one, and that someone is the evil one, the one that was Lucifer, the one that was the worship leader of heaven. He tried to take the place of God, and God came in, and because of his pride, knocked him out of heaven and a third of the angels, he knocked to the earth, and that's where you get hell today. They manage that system, if you will. So you have to understand today that that there's someone and there's something that is one to come in opposition against your life. James chapter 1 says this, verse 13 and 14 says, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. Let's make it clear, it's not God tempting you. He says this, he says, God is never tempted to do wrong. He says, and he never tempts anyone else, temptation, here it is, comes from our own desires. Temptation is not like I'm walking down the street and all of a sudden, oh, I'm tempted. No. Temptation comes from within you. Now, there might be something on the exterior that that tries to get compatible with the desire on the inside of you, and that creates that stronghold where you, where you and listen, you don't fall into temptation. You don't just walk around and all of a sudden, well, there it is, I fell into temptation. Nope. 
you make a choice to yield to temptation. And where you yield is from the inside out. See, he says we're enticed from our own desires, and our own desires is what entices us and drags us away. In other words, temptation is not a God problem, it's a flesh problem. See, the KJV says it kind of this way. It says when he is drawn away, another word that's used is the word lured away. Now, I don't know about any, any fishermen or women in the room, but we use something called lures. And a lure is designed, you ready for this? To lure the fish. <laughs> it's not rocket science. So you throw your lure, they're underneath the lily pads, if you will. They're in hiding, and you run your lure right by the front of those lily pads, and all of a sudden those fish are like, all of a sudden they watch the little shiny thing go by, and then you're like, okay, here we go again. We toss it out, do a little bit more, and all of a sudden he gets curious. He might hit it one time, and then he goes back into his underneath. And then you hit it again, and all of a sudden, he just comes full out, grabs a hold of that, and you hook him in. And then before you know, come on, he's got tartar sauce on him and hot sauce. <laughs> but that's how temptation works. We're lured away. It might not be the first time we see the lure of temptation of the enemy. It might be the third time because we've entertained it so long that we think, oh, well, this just came upon me. No, it didn't. You've entertained it long enough. Now you got a hook in your jaw and you can't figure out how to get it out. And it comes from the inside of you. And this is what he's praying. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be lured into the things of this world. And again, temptation, it's the enemy on the inside. The evil one is the enemy on the outside, or another word is the word adversary. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, stay alert. You ever seen deer, how they get? Like if you drive by them, like they might be down eating grass, but then they smell you, and or they see you. Like we were, uh, we were camping, and me and my son, we were, kind of, we were walking down this uh, uh, the, the street and along the sides, and there's, there's woods, and we walked up on these deer. How many know these deer, when they see you, they don't keep their head down? Like they, they're like this, they're ears up watching you, seeing if you're about to pull the trigger. Like there, there they are, they're, they're paying attention. That's what it means to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Now he's not great in retrospect that he has any authority. This word great means primary. He's your primary enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Why is he like a roaring lion? Because Jesus kicked his teeth out. He can't roar in a way that would distract you because God himself is called the lion of the tribe of Judah and his roar in your life is greater than the enemy's roar. So he goes on to say, looking for someone to devour. So he's prowling the earth looking for someone to devour. How does he do that? What is he looking for? He's looking for open doors in your life. And when you have open doors of temptation and things that you've opened yourself up to, Listen, he will get a hold of that. 
And it says this, he says, what we're supposed to do is stay alert, watch out, and stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. This is what this prayer is talking about. This prayer isn't just a little passive prayer. This prayer is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. As I walk in God's plan for my life, as I continue to move forward in what God has for my life, listen, uh, there's gonna be lures all over the place. Lures to quit, lures to give up. But listen to me today, the Bible tells us that we can pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We stay alert, we're watchful, we're, we're paying attention, and we're standing firm against him, and we're doing it in faith. We're not just holding the fort, we're advancing God's kingdom. As adversaries come along the way, you can't stand in his presence. That's what this scripture is talking about. He's saying, listen, don't lead us into temptation. He says, stay alert. So here's three simple truths to help you consistently de defeat the devil. How many of you want to just whip his tail? And the rest of you, maybe you're being whipped. Like, I'm done with allowing the enemy traction. Hear me. Like, he gets traction through us. Like we have to give him permission in our life by yielding to the temptation, by, by doing things that open the door to lure him into our lives. And so the first thing we have to understand if we're going to consistently defeat the enemy is that we have to understand this is a spiritual war. The primary world that we wrestle in is not seen with our natural eyes as a Christ follower. It is not the primary world that we're wrestling with. This world was created by that world, not the other way around. There's a spiritual world. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, our enemy is spiritual, therefore our warfare is spiritual. So you have to understand that if you're going to defeat the enemy, you have to understand it's not just getting all your ducks in a row in the natural it's you better make sure your ducks are in a row in the spiritual realm. And even though, listen, even though they are invisible and we walk around as if they don't exist, they are unavoidable and they are real. And we have to get over, I believe the greatest lie that the enemy has told the church is that he doesn't exist. But think about how stupid he is. He told you he doesn't exist. And you believed it. So if he didn't exist, how does he have a voice to tell you that he doesn't exist? How dumb is this guy? If he's got a voice, that means he exists. If he influences you, that means he exists. It's just when we're going to defeat him, we got to do it in the spirit realm. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's three realms and three levels. We're fighting in this realm, and how do we fight in that realm? It's prayer. We have to start understanding that this prayer, this Lord's prayer, is not just a reciting moment. It is a blueprint on how to take down the kingdom of darkness. Number two is this. Understand the devil has no power over you. If you're going to effectively, consistently defeat the enemy, and you're praying this prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, understand the devil has no power over you. No power. Bible says in John chapter 10, verse number 19, he said, Behold, I give unto you power 
to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. There's two words for power there. He says, behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, if you will. The word power when it comes to enemy is the word dunamis. It just means dynamite. It's dynamic and it's working, if you will. But the first part of that says God's given you power over the enemy. That word power is the word exousia. It's the word authority. In other words, the enemy doesn't have authority unless we give it to him. I'm teaching. Come on, man. This has been a teaching series. Come on, somebody. I mean, I'm fired up. I feel like I got my badge on right now. Pull over, devil. (laughs) So we have to understand that the devil has no power us. And when you stepped into Jesus, we not only received our sins forgiven and washed away, but we also received the power and authority to overcome temptation and the evil one. Colossians 1 says it this way. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And conveyed us into the kingdom of of, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He he says, I delivered you from the power of darkness. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, the whole goal of the cross was not just to get your sins forgiven. The whole goal of the cross was for him to die on that cross, to go to hell for three days, to take back the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and give you the keys of authority again. Now, how does, let let, let me just teach for just one second. How do you get keys? How do you get keys? Matthew chapter 16 says it this way, because keys is how you pray. Keys is what overcomes the enemy. Matthew 16 says this, Jesus was having a round table with his disciples, and he said, who do men say that I am? He said, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist, whatever. He says, well, who do you say that I am? He says, well, Peter pipes up, his name was Simon at the time, and he says, thou art the son of God. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says this to him, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, that's not what everybody else is saying. He said, but my father in heaven revealed that to you. And he said, upon that revelation of who I am in your life, I will build my church, the called out ones, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That gates of hell is he was standing in a place where he was surrounded by religious temples. And what he was doing is he was pointing at the religious temples saying, the gates of hell or the religious structure of the day will not get in the way of my church because I'm not after religion, I'm after relationship." And he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on to say, behold, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are the keys? Revelation. When you all of a sudden are in God's word and it's like a light bulb. And this revelation of who God is comes off the pages of your Bible. All of a sudden you just got a key put in there. And that key then is used to unlock, according to Matthew 16 in prayer, to unlock and to lock, to where you're no longer wondering what keys you're supposed to have. It all comes out of the word. So the word is the key. And when you get, how many, come on, how many know, remember back in school, like we had a janitor that had one of them big circles? 
6,000 keys on it. Like, that's what I want me to look like in the spirit. I want to be able to grab a key at any moment, stick it in the devil's nose, and tell him to shut up. That's what happens when you understand Revelation. Ephesians 1, and 23, and says, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills in all. Listen, he says, the authority, the devil has no power over you because you're his church. He's the head of the church and you are his body. So it doesn't matter if you feel like the crusty, come on somebody, pinky toe. In the body of Christ, as you have to understand you're in his body and everything's under his feet. So if it's under his feet and we are the church and we are his body, that means everything that's under his feet is under our feet because we are his body. So he doesn't have power over you unless you give it to him. How many know if you come to my house today and you just kind of walk in casually, go into my refrigerator, start making yourself a ham sandwich? You can do that but you don't have the authority to do that. You can't just walk in my house and do whatever you wanna do in my house, why? Because you don't have the authority. How do you get authority? I have to give it to you. I could say to you, Jeff, today, come on over, bro. When you come in, I'm gonna be sitting in the Lazy Boy drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper, help yourself to the fridge, get yourself some nachos, jalapenos, praise him. But I gave him authority to do it. What did that do to him? That gave him permission. Authority is about giving permission. So if you don't want the enemy to operate in your life at this level, stop giving him permission. Stop opening yourself up to these things. Ephesians 5, 8, and 11 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Listen to what he says. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, when we read that verse, sometimes we think, well, we're just going to expose everybody. Everyone's going to be exposed. That's not what this verse means. He says, and have no fellowship. The word fellowship, if you look it up, it literally means the word agreement, and it's also the word communicate. He says, when you have fellowship or agreement or communicate with the works of darkness, you give him authority in your life. Now, let's flip it. He says, he says, he says uh, but if you flip it, when we have fellowship and we have agreement and communicate with God, you are in alignment to be used of God, your God-given authority against the works of the darkness in prayer. So he says, don't have, don't have agreement with the enemy, don't fellowship with him, don't get him at your table and negotiate. There are no negotiations with the enemy. You're not welcomed here. I don't negotiate with somebody that's not welcomed. If you ain't here, we ain't talking. You ain't going to come in here and try to play games and throw the cards across the table, baby. I got the trump card in my hand anyway. You're going down, sucker. Here's the point today. He says this. So what is prayer? To pray is to fellowship, to agree, and to communicate with God. So he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, you're not to give authority to that fellowship of darkness. You're to fellowship with God in prayer. John 8, says that he's a liar, the enemy, and his native language is lies. And he's the father of lies. Understand the devil has no power over us. Ephesians 4, 27 says this, do not give the devil one opportunity. Number three, and I'll close with this, understand the word of God is our weapon. 
Understand the word of God is our weapon. If we're gonna pray this prayer and we're gonna pray it in a way where we establish his authority, we have to understand the word of God is our weapon. You defeat lies with the truth. That's the bottom line. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 through 13 says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He says the word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. James 4, 7 says it this way, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But listen, we want to resist the devil before we're submitted. He says, submit yourself to God. In other words, deal with the stuff, the open doors, before you try to resist him. Submit yourself to God and, he, and, and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, no one can submit for you. I can't submit my life for you. You have to submit your life on your own and no one can resist for you. He says, you must do it. Submit yourself to God. Therefore, you can't submit for someone else, nor can you resist for someone else. You have to submit yourself and resist yourself by using the word of God. Three areas by which temptation comes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Here's how we submit and resist. And I'll close with this part right here. Is we have to know the truth. You have to know the truth. You can't expect to submit yourself to God and resist the plan of the enemy according to Matthew 6's prayer if you don't know the truth. The word know in your Bible, a lot of times we think it's head knowledge. That's not the case at all. The word know in your Bible is more of an experiential knowledge. It's you've experienced something, now you have the knowledge of that experience, if you will. So when we, when we lay down with God's word, we now know God's word through experiencing God's word, not just head knowledge. He says, you'll know the truth. So you have to be vulnerable with God's word. You have to allow God's word to come into you, to the places of your heart that you haven't submitted yet. Number two is we have to pray and speak the truth. David's slingshot and, and everything that happened between David and Goliath was a picture of how you're supposed to live your life. David had this big Goliath and he went down to the, to the river and got some rocks. And then he had a slingshot. Well, our mouth is the slingshot. The rocks are the word of God. And God wants our mouth to be filled with his word. If giants are gonna come down in your life, then you have to speak and pray the truth. And listen, your experience isn't always the truth. Sometimes we take our experiences as truth. Though it's happened, it doesn't mean it's truth. It doesn't mean that's what God created you for, if you will. Just because you think it's truth doesn't mean it's truth. Truth is found in the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. And greater than that, truth is a person, not a concept. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And then finally, we have to live truth. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to pray it. It needs to get in our lifestyle. So that's how we submit. That's how we resist is by living in that place with God's truth, praying, speaking, and living the truth of God in our lives. Let's close our eyes this morning. I want to pray for you today.
I hope you've been able to take something from this series and really begin to apply it in your life. Let's understand there's a spiritual war, understand the enemy has no power over you, and understand the word of God is our weapon. Father, we pray today in the name of Jesus. If there's those in this room that may not know you, need to come back to you, make a decision to follow you, Lord, we know that's the first place of submission, is at the place of salvation. Lord, some folks in this room maybe been running from you, they've been, they've been walking away from you, and Lord, I just pray today that in this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray for just you convict in this moment, Lord. No judgment, just a conviction of the Holy Spirit and love that draws your people back to you. And so if you're in this place today, I'm not going to call you forward, but I do want to know who I'm praying with today. And if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to make a decision to come home to Jesus. I've not submitted my life to him, therefore I can't resist the enemy. And, and, and so I want to submit my life to God today, and I want to give him my heart. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. You say, that's me. I want to, yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Can we all pray together? Let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for coming to the earth. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Come into my heart and make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Thank you from this day forward. I'll submit my life to you. I'll resist the enemy in my life and I'll walk with you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. We had some folks say yes to Jesus today. Come on, all of heaven is rejoicing. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.